Would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 11? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw with the ox. Their nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there were for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ellen. Merry Christmas to you all. It's good to be here where two or three or seven are gathered. The Spirit is here with us. Um, I have more of a meditation on this passage today um, than my normal sermon format. Um, so I want to invite you into that pose to posture, um, just to meditate, think about what this passage means for Christmas, on Christmas, and how it brings us joy. Uh, we've been talking a lot about darkness and sadness and pessimism. You know, that's kind of my happy place, which is weird. Uh, but today I want to prove to, to you that I, I can talk about joy um, and all the reasons for it in the gospel. So let's pray, and then we'll talk about uh, Isaiah 11. Father, we invite your presence here and your spirit 
to give us joy and hope uh, in Jesus, in the incarnation, uh, as we think about it and celebrate it, and even as we read these words from Isaiah, that you would bring joy into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. So we pray this uh, in the name of Jesus to do what we can't do for ourselves, to soften our hearts and open our eyes and give us gladness. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Um, so two weeks ago, I think two weekends ago, Kristen and I went to a wedding, a wedding in Raleigh. It was in a, a barn. It was a full Anglican wedding. It was super fun. A lot of elements of our liturgy here were in the, the, ad, or the service. Um, but, you know, when you go to a wedding, one of the things that's most interesting to do is to watch the groom right before the kind of back doors open and the, the bride walks in. And uh, we know the bride pretty well. We didn't know the groom at all in this case, but it was just everybody was lined up, and the groom is kind of standing up here, and, and uh, they do the processional. Everybody comes in, and everybody gets in their spot, and then the music changes, and the, the back doors of the, of the place open. And uh, our, our friend Katie walks into the room, and it was amazing to watch uh, her now husband's face, like he just kind of lost it, right? Like, and it wasn't like a uh, like an ugly cry, but it was like a can barely contain it. Like his, he's just kind of shaking his hands over his mouth, you know. And have you ever seen that at a wedding? You see, and there's just this this uh, thing that happens bodily because there's been months, or some cases years, of waiting, of longing, of expectation, of living under the umbrella of a promise, right? This is what we do in our culture is you get engaged and there's this promise that yes, I will marry you and for the next season you live under the umbrella of a promise and you're just waiting and you're hoping and in that moment when the back doors open and you're like, oh, she did show up, right? There's, you move from a posture of hope and expectation to a posture of fulfillment, that the thing you've been waiting for, the thing that the groom has been hoping for is now here. Now, in that very moment, in that moment, there's still work to be done, right? There's still a whole service to have. There's still God knows how many pictures to be taken. There's a reception. All the way until you get to the honeymoon, there's still a lot of work to, to do. But in that moment when the back doors open, there's a movement from a posture of hoping and waiting and longing to a posture and an experience of joy, and there's nothing that's more even bodily thrilling than hope that's been realized. And you know this, right? Something you've been longing for, waiting for, hoping for, expecting. And the moment you know for certain that it's here, there's a thrill involved in that. And I call these little two sermons here the thrill of hope from Oh Holy Night. That we are in this posture during Advent of taking an inventory of all the darkness, of all the things that we wrestle with and struggle with and trying to be formed for this settled conviction, looking into the future and hoping, believing that good things are to come, that God is, God is coming, that Jesus is coming, and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're longing and we're expecting. And then Christmas morning is that, Christmas day is that moment when the back doors of the church open and you realize, okay, something is here. <laughs> the, this hope is not pure hope that it's actually being fulfilled, right? This is Luke chapter 2, where the angels appear to the shepherds and they say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
Right? We've been looking at Isaiah 9, where a child will be born to you. And you say in this moment, oh, a child is born. <laughs> there, we are moving from hope into fulfillment. That all this not yet stuff is now becoming already, it's here, it's, it's, it's happening. And there's a lot, again, there's a lot to do. We don't see full fulfillment of that, but we have this moment of joy that in this Christmas season, as we spend four weeks waiting, longing, hoping, focusing on the darkness, now we get to say, oh, the light is here. And that brings joy into our hearts just the way that a bride walking down the aisle brings joy into the heart of a groom because, oh, all of this stuff that I've been hoping and longing for is here. It's real, it's happening. And every Christmas, we get to remind ourselves of this. And joy is kind of a funny, it's a funny word, right? The thrill of hope is joy. This excitement of when hope is fulfilled brings joy. But joy is kind of a funny thing because on the one hand, uh, sometimes joy is equi- you know, equivocated or defined as sort of just external happiness, right? Like giggles and smiles, and if, you, if you're not smiling and happy and jumping and running and laughing, then you must not be joyful. And that's not right. Joy is not just this sort of lightweight external smiles. But joy is also not unrelated. Sometimes people want to talk about joy in a way. It's like it's, happiness is one thing, and joy is over here, and joy is some kind of like internal state that has nothing to do with happiness. And that's not the way that the, that the Bible talks about Joy. Joy is this inner disposition of contentment and satisfaction that then flows out into this outward disposition of happiness. Right? This is the word happy is an important word because it doesn't necessarily mean giggles and smiles, but in, we read in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Is blessed. That's the word happy. It's a different word from joy, but it's those two words are related. That this happiness, this disposition of satisfaction and contentment exists. And this is what you find in, in grooms who see their bride coming down the aisle. It's not necessarily, it, sometimes it looks like tears, right? They're just bawling, but that's joy because there's this inner disposition of satisfaction and content and fulfillment. And that's what is supposed to be brought to us at Christmas time. That's what Christmas is supposed to form us for. Now, Isaiah chapter 11 is this vision of what the child that was predicted in Isaiah chapter 9, a child's going to be born to you and he's going to be these things. Isaiah 11 is a picture of what it looks like when that child comes. When we read this chapter, it's really easy to just sort of classify it as describing like the end times, like far off, like you see this picture of like wolves and lambs lying down together and you're like, all right, this must have nothing to do with what's going on right now. This must be a future But the reality is that when we read Isaiah 11, we're getting a picture of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is really, really clear. When he came, he brought the kingdom of God. And so everything that we read in Isaiah chapter 11 has some kind of fulfillment now. It has some kind of fulfillment in our lives, in our current stage, this stage that we live between the first and second coming of Christ, which I think really could be summarized as the, the space between the bride entering and the honeymoon. Like our entire lives are lived in this space between when the bride shows up. So we say, oh, okay, this is actually happening, and now we're just waiting for the full fulfillment of it. And that's what we see in Isaiah chapter 11. So I want to give you just seven, these are going to be short, that might sound like a lot, seven grounds, seven reasons why we have joy from Isaiah chapter 11 that we have in our lives right now. And if, uh, if we could keep them up there, Bruce, if you want to walk through this as we go. Isaiah chapter 11, you can look in your Bible too if you want, but we're just going to walk through from top to bottom. This is Isaiah 11, 
Verse 1 says, There shall come forth, or shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This first reason for joy is that when Jesus comes, things that appear dead actually have new life. Right? A stump is this dead thing. I have some stumps in my yard, and they're just dead. And they, there's a lot of forestry imagery here in um, the early chapters of Isaiah where trees are getting chopped down as an image of death. And really, even in this time, and then especially by the time Jesus came, Israel looked dead. Right? Like the people are dispersed, the temple is abandoned, there's no king. Like it's just... It, the kingdom looks completely dead. And this image is that from that dead stump will come this bright green shoot, a new thing. And this is what happens when Jesus comes and he announces it. The kingdom of God is here. That the, the kingdom you thought was dead is actually here. And it's bearing fruit even. Not just a little green or a little green shoot comes up, maybe nothing will come. And it says, no, what? it's going to grow up and a branch from that will bear fruit. That things that appear dead Jesus is going to bring new life to. And when we think about that in our context, the question is, we see a lot of things when we look at the darkness of the world, like we've been talking about, a lot of things that seem dead to us, a lot of things that seem hopeless. Maybe that's relationships, maybe that's families, maybe that's nations, a lot of things that appear dead. But because of Jesus, we can have joy that not everything that appears dead actually is that things that often appear dead, that Jesus is working in them and through them to bring new life to them. This is repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. Right? People are raised from the dead, literally in Lazarus, but then Paul uses this imagery of people being raised to life. Right? That person that you think is, has no hope, that they're just, oh, that person's they're, they're far gone. They can't be saved. They can't come back. They can't turn around. They're at the rock bottom. No, the things that appear dead with Jesus can have new life. Every Christmas, we remind ourselves that this dead stump that was the kingdom of Israel is now bearing fruit, and it reminds us to have joy that things that appear dead are not always dead. That's reason number one. Verse two says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. The second reason for, for joy at Christmas is that where we see a lot of foolishness, Jesus brings wisdom. And a lot of the darkness we talked about is due to the foolishness of men and women. Right? There's so much foolishness. There's bad counsel in the world. All of these, the opposite of all this stuff. There's lack of understanding. There's lack of counsel. There's weakness. And we see that all around, and that's the darkness that makes us long. But it says when Jesus comes, he's going to bring the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is, you see this over and over in Jesus' ministry, right? He is baptized, and what happens? The spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And he goes and he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, which is even by people that despise Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount, and they're like, oh, I like that. That's wisdom. <laughs> right? there's, a, there's a quality in what Jesus taught of wisdom in the midst of the foolish world. And we see when we embrace and live in accordance with Jesus' teachings, things begin to become rightly ordered in our lives. And the people who heard Jesus speak we're constantly amazed. We saw this when we studied Mark. They're like a constantly amazed and astounded. Mark 6.32, it says, On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his 
hands. That in the land of foolishness and of darkness, we actually can experience the real wisdom of God. Not book smart wisdom, but experiential knowledge of God. Jesus brought that, and the people saw it. They're like, oh, this man, he has wisdom that we've never heard or seen before, and we have access to that. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 10, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Meaning when Jesus came, he actually brought something new. He brought a new wisdom, made that accessible to people, to the world. That the world has benefited simply from having Jesus having come and spoken and his life being recorded, that he brought wisdom and accessibility to God in a way that wasn't possible before. And we know that every time we come to Christmas, we can remember and have joy, that we can see and know and experience things that even the prophets of God couldn't experience because Jesus has come. He's coming down the aisle, bringing wisdom with him. Verse three, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Or it says he shall judge the poor. That word judge, we kind of think of that in a certain way, but that really means he will bring justice for the poor. He will bring about equity. The third reason we can have joy is that Everywhere that we experience and see all the kinds of injustice that we talked about, all the darkness of injustice, Jesus is actually right now bringing about peace and shalom and equity in ways that we can't see or understand. That he's bringing that. I don't know if you remember this passage. I think I quoted it in a different sermon, but it's an amazing passage in Luke chapter four. Jesus goes into the synagogue and they hand him the scroll to read. This is what visiting rabbis would get up and they would read and they'd read wherever they were, wherever they were currently reading through the, the Torah or the, the Old Testament, they would read. So Jesus is handed the scroll one day as a visiting rabbi and he opens up the scroll and he begins to read and this is what he reads. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendants and he sat down and all eyes were upon him and he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, that's amazing. He's saying all this stuff of Isaiah, that's a, he's, a, he's reading from Isaiah. It's a different place. It's not chapter 11. Reading from Isaiah, he's saying all this stuff, it's being fulfilled right in front of your eyes. That I am bringing equity and justice and good news to the captives and those who are blind. I mean, I don't know that we live in this kind of power. We live in that we know, maybe we know the longing better, like something good will happen out there, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Right now, this day, this is being fulfilled. I am here to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor for those who are poor and weak and needing restoration. We might not see it. We might not be able to measure it in our own eyes, but Jesus is bringing equity in place of injustice all over the world. That's joy. He's bringing about a better shalom than we can. So first, things that appear dead, Jesus is bringing new life. Where there's foolishness, Jesus brings this new wisdom. Where there's injustice, Jesus brings equity. 
the second half of verse four. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Anywhere we see evil, anywhere we struggle and wrestle with evil and darkness, wickedness, Jesus is bringing judgment on it. That might not sound joyful, but we know this in our hearts. When when things are not right, we want to see justice done. We want punishment to be meted out. We want things to be right. And this is what Jesus is doing. He did it all through his ministry. He condemned the Pharisees over and over and over. He talked about the sheep and the goats. I don't know if you've read, I think it's Matthew 24, 25, all these woe passages. Like He's bringing judgment. He's, He's calling out what's wicked, and he's saying, this is the right way, walk in it. And he's separating, slowly separating. And uh, rather than bring fear to us, this should bring us joy, comfort, and satisfaction that in the midst of a world where there's lots of things that seem wrong, that right now, this present moment, Jesus is actually bringing about justice. That he's bringing punishment in the way that he should, in a right way, because he's the king that can rule and can do that. It should bring us comfort and satisfaction, which leads to joy this inner disposition of contentment. Verse six, the wolf shall lie down, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. It's, It's possible that this is a a literal description of what's going to happen in the new earth, but more than that, it is a metaphorical description of things that are at war and at enmity with one another being set right. Where there is enmity and war, Jesus brings harmony. You're like, you look around the world, you're like, wait, I don't see that happening. Yet that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, right? He's torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Greeks. There's so many barriers and walls, spiritual barriers and walls that we can't see that Jesus is and has been tearing down, making a way for things, making a way for his kingdom in ways that we can't see. And yet here it is. He's saying that when he comes, these things are being fulfilled. What's being fulfilled? He's taking people and places and things that are at war, at enmity with one another, and he's bringing harmony to them. That brings joy, that peace and harmony is actually possible through the gospel, through Jesus. And Hopefully you've experienced that in your life. When the gospel comes in, it can actually transform people's lives. It can transform communities. It can transform churches to where people actually begin to experience in a small way this kind of harmony. Where those two people that you thought one was a lion and one was a lamb, they're now together and they're working together because they've both met Jesus. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is doing and that the gospel is doing. He's mending things behind the scenes that we can't see where we see enmity and disunity, Jesus brings harmony. Number six, verse eight. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Again, there could be a literal interpretation of this or a literal fulfillment. I don't know, but I know that there is a metaphorical uh, fulfillment of this that's happening. And that is that the things that were dangerous Where you see and experience danger, Jesus says, no, there's safety here. The things that you used to be afraid of, 
the things that the world used to be afraid of, we don't have to be afraid of them anymore. And this is, Jesus says this to his disciples incredibly literally. Listen to this. And he sends out the 72, and the 72 return to him, and this is what they say about their journey, the 72 that he sent out. They say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like, they're amazed. Like, what? We were able to be powerful over the demons? Like, people had cowered before demons forever. Like, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus sees what's going on behind the scenes, and then he says to them, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Remember when Jesus says, what can man do to you? When the kingdom of God is here, there is a spiritual power that Jesus has brought and given through his spirit to his people that should erase fear from our lives. He says to them, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. This is an amazing statement that should bring us amazing joy and contentment and satisfaction. The things that you think are hurting you, the things that you're afraid of, you can put them aside because the kingdom of God is here. The spirit of power is here. Now these, this is six of these things, Things that appear dead, Jesus brings new life. Where there's foolishness, Jesus brings wisdom. Where there's injustice, Jesus is producing equity. Where there's evil, Jesus is bringing justice. And where there's enmity and war, Jesus brings harmony. And where there's danger, Jesus brings us to safety. And you say, well, I don't see all of those things. I still experience the darkness. And this is the tension and the contradiction that we live in as Christians. It's the tension of, there being an, a not yet, all the stuff that we just talked about for four weeks, that's why we need Advent, to cu- cultivate in us this longing and desire for full restoration. At the same time, there is a very powerful already to God's kingdom that's here because of what Jesus has done by coming and living and dying and rising again, that his, his kingdom really is present and powerful and advancing in ways that you and I cannot see. And every Christmas we're supposed to remember that. We live often like powerless and weak and fearful lives in response to all the darkness that we see because we fail to stop and consider what Jesus actually says about the present reality and power of his kingdom. We live in this tension. It's a, it's a tension that we need to embrace instead of fight against. Yes, there's darkness, but there's also amazing light. Yes, there's hope, but there's also joy. The final reason for joy here is these last six verses. I'm not going to read them all, but just listen. This is verse 10. In that day, it's talking about the day that Jesus comes. In that day, Christmas day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. And then he lists all of these far-flung places. Ellen did a good job reading them. I'm not going to try again. The, The places aren't the point. The point is that from all over the earth, from the ends of the earth, Jesus is bringing and reclaiming his people. And he is a banner. It says in verse 12, he will raise a signal for the nations and then they will come to him. 
This happens on the New Testament. Jesus calls Samaritans. He calls outsiders. He calls Romans. People who shouldn't know Jesus shouldn't respond to him, they do. And this is what we've been seeing from the very beginning of Christianity until today. That this local project of Israel that was local to Jerusalem has become a worldwide phenomenon. That people all over the world know about Jesus. That this is celebrated. That the table of Jesus is celebrated all over the world. In almost every language. In almost every people group. That people know. They know the good news of Jesus. If you've read much about the global south, like the, sec- the bottom half of the southern hemisphere, Christianity is just like on fire down there. It's crazy the number of people that are coming to know and hear this good news. Right? From, from some shepherds in a field, I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all the people. This is the greatest thing that we can be joyful about every time we celebrate Christmas, is that the good news of the gospel is going over the entire world, that gospel proclamation is happening, that we get to actually see that and participate in it, to be part of God's global project to, res- to prepare a people, to bring in a people for himself. And he's doing that right now. It's actively happening, and nothing can stop Jesus from doing that. That's not something we wait for. That's happening right now. Jesus is bringing and collecting and preparing people for himself. I love this last verse, verse 16. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, right? The people had been taken away to Assyria and this highway vision is like, it's not just a trickle back, right? This is kind of what happened after the, ex, after, the, after the exile is that like a few people came back here and a few people came back here and this image in Isaiah, so there's gonna be a highway of people flooding to come and bow at Jesus' feet because he is the king, the one that satisfies and brings about all that's pictured here in Isaiah chapter 11. This is the kind of joy that Christmas teaches us about. It's the joy we need to have every day, can have every day as we meditate on these things. Do we know that? Do we live in fear? Do we live in powerlessness or weakness? Or do we fix our eyes on this light in the midst of the darkness? All these reasons. Go go meditate again on Isaiah chapter 11. There's a lot more that could be said about it, but in this, Jesus is bringing joy. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The kingdom of God is here, it's advancing. Things that seem dead are being made alive. Where there's foolishness, Jesus is bringing wisdom. Where there's injustice, Jesus is bringing equity. Where there's evil, Jesus is bringing judgment. Where there's enmity, Jesus is bringing harmony. Where there's danger, Jesus brings safety. And he's preparing for himself a people that will worship him. And we get to be part of that. Let's be joyful in that today, this week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you um, saw fit out of love for us to reach down, to become one of us, to take on flesh, to bring about all of these things that we hope and long for so much. God, let us see, give us vision the way that the 72 who were sent out saw, the way the people who met Jesus saw, that no less than that day meeting with Jesus do we see and experience the power of your kingdom here. The power of your kingdom rebuilding, renewing, restoring everything. God, give us joy in it that we wouldn't walk around being fearful and sad and lonely and pessimistic, but that we would know in the midst of the darkness that your kingdom is advancing. Give us hope and joy in it and in this fulfillment. And as we wait, 
Give us long-suffering. Give us the ability and the willingness to, to know and believe that you are coming back again where you will put everything right. Bring our tithes and offerings each week before you and we pray that you would bless them, that you would make us happy to give them, um, that you would use them for the benefit of, of this congregation and for your kingdom here in Charlotte. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.